Business and Buckets fam, we are live, episode 87 on this beautiful Tuesday evening. As I prepare for a gauntlet of baseball games, I'm rocking the new Angel City Connect jerseys. Got the Trout jersey, got ready to rock because I got Twins tomorrow for a day game. Angels Thursday, Friday, doubleheader Saturday, game Sunday, right before I head to Montana. We'll be shooting next week's podcast a little bit early after a sick fight night card on Saturday before I head to Montana, and then I'll be filming from there. But um, I'm fired up to talk sports. We just had um, game four in the NBA Finals. Tomorrow, the Avalanche finally taking on the defending champion, Tampa Bay Lightning. Lots of fun stuff to dive into, but you already know the drill. Before we talk sports, let's talk fueled supplements. So, you know, summer is here. It's not around the corner anymore. That means less clothing and bathing suit days on the water. Summertime will be here before you know it. So get your summertime shine with fueled supplements, advanced thermogenic and feel good formula showtime. Showtime contains the only two clinically tested and patented ingredients scientifically proven to enhance thermogenesis. So besides fat burning, Showtime also increases energy, boosts mood, provides a sense of euphoria, suppresses appetite, enhances mental clarity, focus, and concentration. So for optimal results, stack with counterattack and get yours exclusively at fueledsupplements.com. Use the promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off. It's B-U-C-K-E-T-S. Again, you're you're supplementing throughout the summer. You're trying to get right. Go to fieldsupplements.com. You could save yourself a trip from GNC. You could get it shipped quickly. Uh, My guy, Josh Morin's got you covered. Uh, You have any insight to what you want, let me know. Hit me up at the DMs. We can educate you, set you up, support small business. That's That's where the world is coming as small business is becoming less and less of a deal and large corporations are taking over. I'm guilty of buying from Amazon and other places as well. But let's dive in and talk UFC because UFC 275 was a motherfucking banger. Sadly, not sadly, I was at the Mariners game Saturday. I had thrown some bets down for the first time in a couple weeks. I had a winning ticket. Uh, I picked the right round that Jan Blakovich got a finish, although, you know, Rachik blew out his knee, but I got paid from it. So I needed to go cash it in, wanted to put some bets on, and I had a season ticket game to the Mariners Red Sox on Saturday. Ended up being an awesome game. The the stadium was electric. It was a jam-packed stadium. There was a walk-off by the Mariners, so that's always fun to see. I got to see, see Rafael Devers go deep. Uh, I think J.D. Martinez went deep. There's hella home runs, so it was a lot of fun. But I was watching majority of the fight card on my phone, which is not ideal. Everyone's probably wondering what the hell is this guy doing on his phone the whole game. Uh, but I couldn't miss Zhang Wei, uh, Wei Li versus Yoana rematch. And I, I wanted to watch some of the main fights, especially the Glover Teixeira fight. Had some stream issues right at the end of it, so I missed the finish. Um, but let's talk about some fights that have been announced. We'll talk about the card. I was... You know, Glover Teixeira would have won. I would have won three grand on a $50 parlay. Uh, so it definitely hurts that, I, you know, as my stream cut out, I missed what had happened. But what a, what a crazy fight, so we'll get into it. Usman Edwards, finally official. Usman having that, you know, hand recovery. Um, so it is booked for UFC 278 in Salt Lake City. 
I love seeing the UFC go other places besides Vegas, besides Abu Dhabi. Uh, we have a fight night card this Saturday, a non-pay-per-view event outside of the Apex in Austin, Texas. It is a stacked, loaded card. Uh, so I just love seeing that, that we're getting around, we're getting back to pre-pandemic situations uh, because fans deserve to be able to, you know, have them come potentially locally. I wasn't going to talk about this, but Bellator, I think 263 or 268, one of their new ones, uh, just got booked for the Emerald Queen Casino here in Tacoma, uh, right south of Seattle, with uh, two different title defenses on there. So might be something that I'll have to go check out after I watch 276 in Vegas for my 30th. Uh, but we'll see what happens with that situation. Uh, I love watching some fights live. I've never seen Bellator before, so that could be intriguing. We also have Takashi Sato taking on Brian Battle. Brian Battle has moved down another weight class. You know, as he was young, had a lot of that baby fat in him. Hadn't gotten to that harsh cardio and conditioning yet. He was a, a, a bigger weight, I believe, light heavyweight, and he just kept moving his way down. So he is taking on Sato in the welterweight division. Just booked this afternoon, Andre Feely versus Lando Venata. Uh, these will all be great fights. Uh, I'm really excited to see what Edwards can do against Usman. Uh, battle the ultimate fighter winning, winner looking great. And then um, uh, Andre Feely is always fun. Jer Lando Venata is not going to be an easy bout. And this isn't official yet, but according to Ariel Hawani, the UFC is targeting and about to finalize Jose Aldo versus Marab Divashwili, something like that, Dishwili, uh for UFC 278. An insane bout that's going to be. Um, you know, uh, we've been wanting to see Jose Aldo. There was rumor of him potentially fighting Aljo for the title, but uh, I assumed it would be TJ Dillashaw, and it seems like that's going to be the move. Elsewhere in fighting wor in the fighting world, uh, Floyd Mayweather officially in introduced to the uh, Boxing Hall of Fame. No surprise there. I think that was, uh, you know, pretty common sense. Uh, but then he ended up, this afternoon getting a fight booked against um, MMA fighter Mikiru Asakura. Um, I believe it's just going to be a boxing bout, but he keeps doing these fun exhibitions. Get the fans something to tune into and uh, probably make some more cheddar. Um, Michael, our MVP taking on Mike Perry. He, he got permission, MVP did, Michael Van Page, to get out of his Bellator, not out of his contract, but breach it to take on uh, Mike Perry in a BKFC bout this summer, August 20th. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how he does without the gloves. Because uh, Mike Perry is a crazy son of a bitch. Uh, but, you know, I'm definitely going to be tuning in for that. But let's talk UFC 275 because some motherfucking action went down. Um, I went 4-2 and two on, on my picks this card. So I feel pretty good about it. You know, yeah, could it have been better? Sure. Um, you know, I did... Pick Ioana. I figure with the three rounds, there would be an adjustment there. Uh, but I'm happy about it. And a fight that we didn't break down that I'll talk about was Jack Della Maddalena continuing his hot streak. Uh, I assumed he would win. I didn't know much about the other fighters, so we didn't break that down. Um, but great win by him early on. But let's talk about um, the, the card early in the prelims. This was the first bout on my parlay and it was a little stressful but the outcome um no surprise to me as i i went want to know to start with brendan allen all in allen with a unanimous decision over jacob mamba malcoon and man this was a nail biter the whole way through 
You know Malkoon is going to look to take you down and wrestle you. That's what he does. He's, you know, pretty lopsided, kind of like the old school 10, 15 years ago fighter. He he doesn't do a lot to scare you striking. He had a couple nice jabs here and there. Um, I don't think Brandon was really taking him seriously from his feet. Um, but this is exactly what happened the whole fight was Brandon trying to avoid the relentless takedown attempts for Malkoon. He literally just wrestled him. He didn't get a lot of strikes thrown. And, and they were up against the cage a lot. Brandon throwing strikes from his back. And I honestly, though, was shocked how successful Malkoon was um, by taking down Allen with the wrestling. You know, Allen has some good defense. But at the end of the day, he was really the one who delivered the damage, whether it was up against the cage, on the bottom throwing elbows. He tried to stay active. He knew he had to do his part. And I don't know if there was an, ever an official judging change, you know, over the past 10 years. But just because they're taking a down, a, down a guy and controlling him over and over, if they're able to get up to their feet, they're able to land some strikes, still be active, and you're doing absolutely nothing with their takedowns, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win the rounds, and that's what this one came down to. Statistically, Allen landed 89 total and 45 significant strikes with two takedowns of his own uh, and two reversals compared to Jacob's 66 total, 33 significant, and seven takedowns in 14 attempts. So we had a 50% succession right there. Now, Allen has his momentum back, right? He went up to take a short-term bout, got a win in welterweight. Now he gets another one. He's on a two-fight winning streak while Jacob ends his two-fight winning streak and starts a new losing streak of his own. Um, but great fight. You know, I was super nervous. This was a controversial uh, decision, uh, you know, in, in some people's eyes, I thought Allen did win. Um, but also I had him on my parlay, so I might be a little biased on that one. Um, what's next for these guys? I would love to see Allen take on Christoph Jotko or Chidi Nukwani, uh, who just fought, looked very impressive. Those two in a striking battle would be pretty insane. Um, it'd be must-see TV, no doubt about it. And for Jacob, I could see Junyong Parker, Andre Petrosky, a little wrestler-on-wrestler -wrestler action that could be intriguing as well. And that was it for the prelims. So now moving to the main card, we had Jake Matthews with the second round knockout over Andre Fialho. Your boy picked the underdog. The dog came to eat. And Jake Matthews is looking good, boy. I mean, I talked about believing that Jake would look the best he's ever looked. And boy, was I right. I mean, he was in a bad submission attempt. Really deep. Looked like it might be out. Uh, uh, you know, no way he could get out. Somehow found a way out. And then in round two, was able to land bombs early in the round. Um, I think uh, Jake did get performance of the night in this one, but I think his his punches looked crisper. He looked quicker. He looked more confident. And props to him. Not a lot of fighters getting in a submission attempt that deep uh, is going to find a way out to then go knock the guy out early in the next round. Now, I like Fialho, and his run has definitely been impressive. He's you know kind of done what comms odd or... Kevin Holland did in 2020. A lot of fights in a short amount of time, getting mostly victories. I just don't think he's like super amazing in one spot. He's not, you know, a great or amazing striker, a great or amazing wrestler. At the end of the day, he's probably pretty good everywhere and is just a durable motherfucker, which obviously could pay dividends. Um, statistically, Jake landed 47 total and significant strikes with that knockdown compared to Andre's 19 total and 18 significant strikes. 
So now Matthew starts a new winning streak after the year off. And Andre starts a new losing streak. He is 5-2 in the last 12 months. Seven fights in the octagon. I believe five of those in the UFC. Straight savagery. So, you know, salute to you. Up next, I believe Jake versus Santiago Ponzanibio or Daniel Rodriguez. Those are the fights to book down. And for Andre, I think Max Griffin would be a fun fight. That's the fight to make if I was the matchmaker. And then we get to this fucking fight, man. Zong Weilei with a second round knockout over Ioana Young Jacek. And round one of this fight went exactly how you'd expect it to. Weili was using huge, powerful shots. Ioana was trying to use her speed to land big shots. You know, she was successful. This was a performance of the night by Weilei as well. But the big thing was Weilei mixing in some wrestling, right? She was able to get the takedowns. I think that was expected. Ioana had talked about it before the fight, especially when she's working with Henry Cejudo and the Fight Ready team. Um, but round two, Weilei hit her with that amazing spinning back fist and literally flatlined Joanna, which is no easy task. I mean, she had that massive hematoma last time. She wouldn't go out. And then after the fight, Joanna had quite a long speech. And as she kept talking, I was like, is this going to happen? And she did declare retirement as she wants to focus on being a mom and being a businesswoman. But props to her. She does not have anything left to prove at 35 years old. Um, you know, I wouldn't want to take a punch now. I'm about to be 30, let alone 35, be a woman trying to be a mother. Um, and she's not going to be fighting for the title anytime soon after two losses to Waylay. You know, she had lost to Rose, so she knew what the outcome was there. But the first round was a scrap, boy. Uh, but Waylay, man, she's she's getting better. She's improving. And how old is she? I can't remember. 32 years old, so she's, you know, right in the midst of her prime. Thug Rose has been the roadblock for her. But damn, that was a fun round. Um, I enjoyed it. H hate to see, you know, the, the queen of chaos, the queen of violence go out that way. Um, but bravo to an amazing career. Um, statistically, Waylay landed 94 total and 69 significant strikes with three takedowns and a knockdown compared to Ioana's 44 total and 43 significant. Now, Zhang starts a new winning streak and was confirmed to get the next title fight by, by Dana White. Ioana ends her career with two straight losses to Weilei. She is 2-5 in her last, you know, last hurrah. And two losses were to Rose, two to Weilei, and then another one to Valentina. So we're talking the best women ever to grace the octagon. So she went out fighting the best of the best. Put up the shows for the fans. That's how you do it. So with Joanna being retired, I could see Waylay is taking on Carla Esparza. That has been confirmed. Um, there's already some beef back and forth online about Carla saying she will fight when I am ready for her to fight uh, for this next title fight. So that could be intriguing. Uh, but I'd expect Waylay to go up, wax Carla, and then we're going to see Waylay in rows three probably. And then the very interesting co-main event. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Valentina Shevchenko with a split decision over uh, Talia, Talia Santos. And, you know, I felt like I was giving Santos more credit than others out there, especially Vegas and those odds before the fight. I mean, she's a tough bitch, you know? She's tough. She's young. She's, she's pretty good everywhere. 
and clearly wasn't afraid of Valentina, but I did not believe it would come down to a controversial finish. I did not think it would be that close whatsoever. I thought there was a chance of it going five. I expected um, Valentina to get a late finish. I bet on the later rounds for a finish, um, you know, submission, knockout, any kind of finish. But uh, these title fights where you have, you know, pretty much all-time greats, the John Joneses, the Valentinas, you know, the, the Anderson Silvas, I feel like they're always a mixed reaction online. Especially when you just, you know, figure out who, who the real winner was. The challenge to me is that if the challenger wins rounds one through three, and they're very, very close, debatable rounds, then the last two rounds, the champion comes on and clearly wins. I feel like the ch- the judges won't let the title go to somebody else and give the challenger the bout, the belt. Especially when the champ is as dominant as Valentina. Is that the way the judging is supposed to work? I don't think so by the textbook. You know, someone wins three rounds. You know, they won the three of five. They're, they're going to win the, the fight. Um, and in none of these close bouts that I'm talking about have been, you know, a 10-8 round. It's all been 9-8s, one-point one rounds, no-point deductions. In that situation, you know, granted I was watching from a phone at a baseball game, you know, Talia Santos did win, but she didn't. Valentina's the champion. She still graces the belt, and she's going to move on and potentially fight Misha Tate if she can handle business. Am I mad that that's the situation? Not at all, right? Like they say, you want to beat the champ. If you want to be the champ, you got to beat the champ. Um, why have all-time great miss on a super, super close fight where they've come on strong at the end, give up the belt? You know, maybe that's Dana White and the UFC. Hey, we got these big-time guys. Make sure that they actually lose if we're going to give them the bout. I have no idea what it is. But a lot of people are pissed off Valentina didn't win. Um, at the end of the day, the biggest part here was the accidental headbutt that fucked up Santos's eye. She had to get, I think she fractured her orbital bone, uh, which is brutal. I'm assuming, you know, any kind of contact to that eye was not fun. She probably couldn't see very well. I assume it had an outcome in the fight. But um, how much would the fight have been different without that headbutt? I would say quite a bit. It would have been intriguing to see what would happen. But we're also talking about Valentina fucking Shevchenko, and she still showed out. So um, I, I, I feel like Valentina is getting no love. She's still fighting. She's on her whatever amount of title defenses in a row. Um, and she showed that she could dig deep. She has heart. She, you know, she hasn't been tested like that in a while. She hasn't been wrestled like that in a long time. And she, she showed she could handle. And even after the fight, you know, she talked about a, a potential foot injury that she had. So, you know, she might not have been 100%. She said that's why she wasn't as bouncy and active and uh, obviously wasn't throwing as many leg kicks. She said she tried to throw a couple that really messed up her foot even more. So wasn't able to do that. So um, I'm not super upset about it. Uh, I'm sure we'll see Santos again in the future. There's not a ton of uh, big dogs in that, that weight class. But when we look at the stats, Valentina landed 234 total. 77 of those significant with three takedowns of her own and a submission attempt. Santos had 128 total, 55 significant with three takedowns, three submission attempts, and two reversals. So I think the stats 
right? Valentino landed a lot more. She landed more significant. Same amount of uh, takedowns. Obviously, Santos had a ton of control time. She had more submission attempts and reversals. Um, but it, it's pretty damn close, right? At the end of the day, I don't mind the... You got to beat the champ to be the champ. I really don't. Now, Valentina, she is on her eighth title defense after this victory. Santos has her four-fight winning streak come to an end and now starts a new losing streak. Even though she lost, she moved up two spots to number two. That's how much validity her career has just got. And that's how many more believers Santos has. Because, well, I think she was minus 600, even minus 800 at, a, at one point. And I was like, man, I was thinking like maybe minus 240, something of that nature. So, um, yeah, people, people got a reality check after this fight. So what's next? Well, Valentina called out Misha Tate if she beats Lauren Murphy on 276. I'll be there. Your boy's going to see that shit live. Um, that seems like the number one option. If that doesn't happen, I'd expect a rematch. There's not a lot of true, you know, Misha Tate's the glory fight, right? That's the legacy fight. Um, two, two OGs to grace the octagon. Um, so if that's not the case, maybe Nunez, maybe Santos. Those are really the options. Uh, Valentina talked about that foot, foot injury. So, uh, you know, very impressive bout by her, um, for Jennifer or for Santos, I could see Jennifer Maya. That fight would be a ton of fun. Uh, two girls that could bring bring the fight anywhere. Um, either way, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And I think the Misha Tate for, uh, fight outcome will, will be the first big tell. And then the fucking fight of the night, man. Uh, potentially fight of the year. Yuri Proshaka with a fifth round submission over Glover Teixeira. And it still hurts me a little bit inside to say that. I was 30 seconds away from fucking $3,000. That is if the decision went to Glover and everyone seems to think it would have. But this fight was better than I expected. You know, I expected a great fight. These two guys are great fighters, a little bit, little bit different styles. But this was clearly deserved of the fight of the night and uh, potentially fight of the year. You know, we see these fights. Everyone's like, oh, best fight of all time, fight of the year. I don't even remember what the fuck happened in January. I'd actually have to factually go back and check if this is the best fight of the year. But it, either way, this is one I won't forget. A lot of people have been critical of both fire, fighters in this fight because, well, for me, Yuri's already not from America. I don't know how many hours and time differences he had from where he's been living. But going to Singapore, fighting at odd times, the travel schedule, all those things, I felt like added up to this fight. You know, they're fighting early in the morning because Glover wasn't at his peak and neither was Geary. Both fighters were a little bit sloppy. Um, but what you expected to happen, happened, right? Both guys had their moments. Geary had his big shots, right? He could have put Glover out. He couldn't. Glover had multiple insanely deep submission attempts. I had picked Glover to finish rounds four and five. And some of those submission attempts, that head and arm that he had, I was like, holy shit, add another five hundo. About to hit this parlay. I'm at the baseball game. I'm like, about to fucking turn up tonight. And and, and Yuri got out of it. You know, a non-jujitsu guy who's not that le level of a grappler got out of it. You know, granted, Glover's, you know, what, 43? You know, we're, we're pushing this many rounds. He said he had a bad weight cut after... Uh, I, I just assume both guys were completely gassed and they were digging deep. 
way past the empty gas tank. And clearly, I think that's what happened in round five when Glover, Glover's not thinking, right? He, he gives up his neck, doesn't fight the hands, literally sinks in a re- rear naked without any hooks, without anything. And uh, yeah, taps out, you know. Granted, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, I want to tap out 30 seconds left. Try to have a choke that deep with, where you're not fighting it and giving yourself space. You're going to last, I think they say like 10 seconds before you go out. I think different size and the weight of uh, of each man because you need more oxygen in your body is different. So he was going to go out. Um, but, oh, man, it's just a fucking crazy outcome. I mean, I, I just feel like we've seen Yuri be more crisp. And what the fucking... How many flying knee attempts, just sloppy knee attempts up the middle did he try, right? Uh, but I do love Yuri, how he has his crazy bobbing and where he'll go one angle, but he's throwing them off. He's throwing off those angles. And, you know, your typical boxer striker coming in at these certain angles, you could train for that. Not a lot of guys are coming here and then having those angles. So it was cool to see just completely different fighting styles. The, the biggest surprise to me was Yuri at the start of the fight had that pressure coming forward on Glover, where I thought Glover was going to have that pressure coming forward on Yuri. Um, but yeah, I believe Glover was winning the fight. I think he was on his way to, to, to win that fight. Um, crazy that you submit Glover to Shara to win the title with no hooks in or, or anything like that. I, I'm still shocked. I can't believe that shit happened. Um, you know, Glover was relentless with his wrestling. He tried to get those takedown attempts. His jiu-jitsu looked good. He had smooth transitions. Um, the biggest thing for me was how Yuri was able to just willpower his way out of some of those submissions. But find a way, right? Find a way. That one where he just was able to roll out of that. How the fuck do you roll out of that? I mean, he kept uh, Tiago Santos smothered. He kept um, Blakovich smothered. He kept... Anthony Smith smothered and Yuri somehow finds a way. It's just, it's just, you can't draw this shit up. But the biggest flaw, the flaw that I really think lost him the fight was the guillotine attempt when he had Yuri rocked to the cage and Yuri's kind of different when he gets rocked. He, he kind of leans forward and puts his head down and you'd think as a fighter, okay, let me back up and pop, pop those heads. But he kind of like weaves onto the cage and, I think Glover's like, oh, you're going to give me your head. Let me fucking get it. But they're sweaty as shit, right? He slides off, and then Yuri's on top. I think that was the one where I was like, fuck, I might lose this now. Because I, I thought I was cashing. I was ready to go to Tacoma, cash that bitch in, and party party like a rock star. Ah, damn, that would have been nice before Vegas. Little, little extra free money to play on the house with. Good thing we got another fight night card. I'll, I'll be driving back there Saturday to try to, try to win me some mun-muns. Um, but statistically, Glover landed 159 total and 111 significant strikes with five takedowns, although 17 attempts. He had a submission attempt and two reversals as well. Compared to Yuri's 157 total, 120 significant strikes with a submission attempt and four reversals. So strike-wise, pretty fucking close. Now, Glover starts a new losing streak. He moves to the number one contender spot in the light heavyweight division, while Yuri extends his winning streak to 13, and he has a title only being 3-0 in the UFC. Three fights in the UFC, coming from uh, Risen all the way to UFC gold. I, I mean, you can't draw that shit up. You can't make that shit up. 
So what's next for these motherfuckers? Well, I expect Jan versus Yuri, a potential option for the rematch if they can't book it or Yuri gets hurt or something like that. Um, if no rematch, I could see Glover then take on the winner of Anthony Smith versus Magomed Ankalev, which I was watching the MMA hour and Anthony Smith was hinting that might be a title eliminator. Uh, but you got to put Glover in that mix somewhere. Anthony wins. Do you put him against Glover again? Probably not. Um, but I don't expect Raychik to be healthy in time, so you can't do Glover Raychik unless he could somehow fucking, you know, hyperbolic chamber, get that knee situated, and then fight soon. Because uh, I'm sure Yuri or Glover is going to be fighting at least by, you know, quarter one next year. Um, I, I You know, is Raychik going to be ready for the big title? You know, you lose to Glover after blowing out your knee to Yan. It's going to be a tough way back in your prime. So um, I'm going to just say Yuri Yan. Glover, winner of Smith, Ankalev. If Ankalev wins, most likely. All right. What a fucking card, though. Those three fights, I mean, everyone thought it was going to be the we the Waylay rematch, fireworks, Valentina handle business, then to the title fight, and all three delivered. Plus, you had some extra bangers in there. Jake Matthews, Brendan Allen, not mad about it. But this card's even deeper, and it's free 99, ladies and gents. I'll be at the Mariners game again. It's doubleheader on Saturday. But what I love, because I did not buy the pay-per-view. I had some shit-ass stream. Didn't work very well. I, I get to come back and watch it on ESPN Plus whenever I want, right? Come home after the game and watch it. I'll probably look at what the results are, though, because I'm going to have some bets down. But we have UFC Fight Night with a 4 p.m. main card start. So a little earlier of a start than a pay-per-view. And the main card's going to be on ESPN. And the prelims on ESPN too. So let's dive into the prelims. We got Kyle Dacus, 29 years old with an 11-2 record, taking on Roman Dolidzi, 33 years old with an impressive 9-1 record. Now, honestly, what a fight to open up the prelims. It just goes to show how deep this card is for a fight night. And they wanted to show out in Texas, right? I think this is the first non-Apex fight night since COVID. And, uh, you know, Texas loves loves some fights, so you, you got to show out. But when we look at it, Kyle's a black belt in BJJ. He has a purple belt in Muay Thai. He's on a one-fight winning streak, although he was beating Kevin Holland before uh, two fights ago. He had that accidental clash of heads, right? They called it a no contest. Um, he was on his way to win that fight, most likely. Nine of his 11 wins are via knockout, and he is a Dana White Contender Series alum. Roman, he's an orthodox fighter. He trains out of extreme couture MMA. He's on a one-fight winning streak and was 1-1 one one last year in 2021. Four of his nine wins are via knockout, and he, he's highly trained in Sambo and BJJ as well. You know, this is an interesting fight. It's It's... Guys who've been champions in other promotions. You know, Kyle was the champion of Cage Fury. Roman was the champion of World Warriors. I do like Kyle, though, even though both are good grapplers. I think he's got a little bit more slicker moves. Uh, but I've seen him fight a little bit more, too, so that could be biasy. But I'm going to take Kyle. He's a Vegas favorite. I'm putting that sucker on my parlay. We getting that dirty 30 money, marking that ish down, and we getting this bread. Damn, I just love these City Connect unis, man. I'm going to be in Seattle swagging, you know what I mean? Need Those Angels victories, though, kept me walking home pissed off. 
Then we have, like, the fact that this is a fucking prelim fight, man. Phil Megatron Haas, 33 years old, with an 11-3 and record, taking on Duran Wynn, 33 years old, with a 7-2 and record. Now, this motherfucker is going to be a banger. Two hard-hitting metal middleweights, both in their prime, wrestling backgrounds. I mean... This competition is just as good as you're going to get a championship Bellator PFL fight anywhere. Uh, Duran, he's got a wrestling background. He trains out of the American Kickboxing Academy. He has an NAIA wrestling background out of St. Louis Community College. He placed third there, and he got gold in Juco wrestling. He did do freestyle wrestling um, at the U.S. World Team Trials. And he beat some big names. He beat Jaden Cox, which is a bad motherfucker. He's a Bellator alum, and four of his seven wins are via knockout. Now, he is on a one-fight winning streak, and he's 2-2 two and two in the UFC. Meanwhile, Phil, who I really like, he's got a wrestling background as well. He trains out of, all, out of Sanford MMA with all those bad sons of bitches they got. He's got a brown belt in BJJ. He also wrestled Juco and then D1 at Iowa State. He's an Ultimate Fighter, World Series of Fighting, Bellator, and Dana White Contender Series alum. He's coming off a loss after a nice seven-fight winning streak. Seven of his 11 wins are via knockout, and he does have a seven-and-a-half-inch reach advantage in this one. Now, both fighters, wrestling backgrounds. Funny thing, both fighters got gold at Rochester, a, a weight class difference, a year difference. So I'm sure they're familiar with themselves. Both fighters have good and improved striking and a very good wrestling base. I like the link and the athleticism that Phil Haas, right? He's got that it factor. He's got that crazy shit that you, you just got to be an athlete. You got to go in sparring and feel that shit come out of you. Well, he's got it. Um, so I, I, I'm going to take Phil in this one. He is a Vegas favorite. We're marking him on, on that parlay. We marking him down. And we getting that bread. Moving on. We got Cody Spartan Stamen, 32 years old with a 19-5-1 record, taking on Eddie Wineland, 37 years old with a 24-15-1 record. Now, unlike the last fight, these wrestlers have quite different backgrounds. Not wrestlers, these fighters, excuse me. Eddie, he's a WEC alum. He has a blue belt in BJJ. He has a four and a half inch reach advantage. He's on a two fight losing streak and hasn't won in three years. 15 of his 24 wins are via knockout and five of his 15 losses are via knockout. AKA Sugar Sean, you know what I mean? That walk off. Uh, Cody, he's a wrestler first. He wrestled D2 at Grand Valley State. He trains out of Extreme Couture. He has a blue belt in BJJ. He's on a three-fight losing streak, and he hasn't won in two years. He's lost to Saeed, Marab, and Jimmy Rivera. All those guys are bad motherfuckers. Now, Cody, he's in his fighting prime, right? He's 32 years old. Eddie, probably on his way out. Let's just be honest, at 37. I like Eddie. You know, he's, been a, he's a true vet of the sport. But this is a tough fight for him. I believe Cody's going to take Eddie down, grind him out, tire him out, find a way to victory, Get in some strikes. Maybe even get a little finish here. So I'm going to take Stamen. 
I'm putting them on my parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that house money. We going to Vegas. Still in the motherfucking... Are we still in... Yeah, we're still in the prelims. We got Ricardo Ramos, 26 years old, with a 15-4 and record, taking on Danny the Colombian Warrior Chavez, 35 years old, with an 11-4-1 and record. Now, this is going to be an interesting fight. I know I keep saying that. These are fucking good fights, man. Uh, both fighters are desperate for momentum. That's what really makes this one intriguing. Just like the last one, two fight or two years, three years that, that Stamen Wineland fight, the loser that could very well be cut. That's how, you know, it's some, you're going in that octagon. You feel that pressure. You got to show the fuck out. That's why you're paying me. I'm bringing in the viewers. Well, in this fight, um, Chavez, you know, he, he's one, one and one since entering the UFC. He's not a spring chicken anymore at 35 years old. He's, you know, right at the edge of his fighting prime. But when we look at Ricardo, he trains at a team alpha male. He has a black belt in BJJ. He is a legacy FC and elite FC alum. He was the champ at elite FC. He is on a one fight losing streak. Seven of his 15 wins are via submission. And he has a, uh, he has a five inch reach advantage in this fight. Danny, he's on a one-fight losing streak. He had the draw in his, uh, the fight before that. I just like what I've seen from Ricardo. He's only 26. I expect continued growth. He's had some time off since his last fight. And this is his first fight this year. I think he's going to show out. We're putting old Ricardo on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting this bread. Moving on. Another veteran bout. Court the Crusher McGee, 37 years old, with a 22-10 and 10 record, taking on Jeremiah Wells, 35 years old, with a 10-2 record. Now, this is going to be an interesting fight of some MMA vets. McGee has been in the UFC way longer. Uh, he's an ultimate fighter winner and alum. He has a purple belt in BJJ. He's got a black stripe red belt in Shintoshi Karate a fourth-degree black belt, and Kaju Kenbo. He's on a two-fight winning streak, while Jeremiah is on a four-fight winning streak, two of them in the UFC, and four of his 10 wins are via submission, and four of those 10 via knockout. I've gone back and forth in this one. I like what I've seen from court lately. I'm going to put him on this parlay. We ride with the, the ultimate fighter winner. We market him down, and we get in this bread. And the fucking bantamweight, man. The, the bantamweight division is so much fun right now. In this one, the, the prelim headliner, we get Adrian Yanez, 28 years old, with a 15-3 and three record, taking on Tony Primetime Kelly, 35 years old, with an 8-2 and two record. Now, this fight is going to be very interesting as Tony is on quite the run in the UFC. And Giannis is on an eight-fight winning streak with five of them in the UFC. This, the, a winner here is really going to leap leap their popularity, leap them up the standings. Now, Adrian, he's an orthodox fighter. He has a black belt in BJJ. Nine of his 15 wins are via knockout. He's an LFA, Bellator, and Dana White Contender Series alum. While Tony, he trains out a team alpha male. 
He's on a two-fight winning streak and is 2-1 and one in the UFC. Three of his eight wins are via submission and knockout. So three via submission, three via knockout. And this is going to be a hell of a headliner for the prelims right before the main card. I believe there isn't a lot that happens on the, the ground in this fight. I think it's going to be a pure boxing striking match. And if that's the case, I like Yanez in this fight. I've gone back and forth, but he's a younger fighter. He's not even in his prime. He gets better and better each fight. And I think from what we've seen from Tony, it's impressive, but I don't know if he, he's really getting that much better. For that purpose, we're riding with Yanez. We putting him on that parlay, and we getting this bread. And that's all the prelims. Now we'll kick off the main card. In the main card, we have Julian, the Cuban Missile Crisis Marquez, 32 years old with a 9-2 and two record, taking on Gregory Robocop Rodriguez, 30 years old with an 11-4 and four record. Now, this is another banger. The big boys in the middleweight division. If you remember the episode that this had been announced, I was like, can't wait for that fight. And honestly... The fact that this is only a main card opener on a fight night, savagery. I mean, both fighters have made really good impressions in their young UFC careers. Julian, he trains out of Glory MMA. He has a purple belt in BJJ. He's on a two-fight winning streak and is 4-1 in the UFC. Six of his nine wins are via knockout. He's a Dana White Contender Series alum. He is a Bellator LFA and LFA alum as well. While Gregory, he's a black belt in BJJ. He's an LFA and Dana White Contender Series alum. He was an LFA champion. He has a three-inch reach advantage. And he's on a one-fight losing streak after a four-fight winning streak. But five of his 11 wins are via knockout and four of the 11 via submission. So nine of 11 wins via finish. Now, I really do like Julian. I really do. But RoboCop is legit a fucking robot, man. Uh, he keeps coming forward. He takes shots. He delivers shots. And as big as he is, I haven't quite seen him tire out. Um, I thought he won the last fight via split decision. It was very, very close. I don't know how Julian's going to be able to handle that pressure and see if he can handle that kind of motor. So for that purpose, I'm taking RoboCop. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking that ish down. And we getting that bread. And this is low-key fight of the card, in my opinion. The fact that it's a second main card fight, the fact that it's on a free fight night, if you're a real MMA fan, you're going to love this fucking fight. As long as Demir makes weighty, I think he was seven and a half pounds last time overweight. Like, what the fuck? Well, we get Demir as Magulov, 31 years old, with a 23-1 and record, taking on Guram, the Georgian Viking Kuta Taladzi, 30 years old with a 12 and 2 record. I mean, these guys are former M1 fighters. You know, they represent each other's countries. They're bad motherfuckers. And I honestly don't know why they don't have more clout at this point in the UFC because you do not hear a lot from them. But I mean, 23 and 1, 12 and 2. They've already beat good fighters. Um, the Georgian King has already beaten uh, Matuz Gamrat, who's headlining the next fight night. Demira's Mugalov has beaten guys like Joel Alvarez. I, I just rewatched his fight against Tiago Moises again. Um, I mean, 
whoo, it's going to be a fun one. I mean, Demir, he's a master of sports and MMA and hand-to-hand combat. He was the M1 lightweight champion and had fight of the year in M1 in 2017. He's on a 15-fight winning streak with four of them in the UFC. He's only fought once in the UFC in 2021. And his first fight, this is his first fight in 2022. He was supposed to fight in October of last year. But again, he missed weight by seven and a half pounds. Uh, clearly, he's like, I'm not going to make this weight. <laughs> Hopefully, this guy will still fight. Uh, nine of his 20 wins are via knockout. Now, Gurum, he hasn't fought since October of 2020 when he beat Matuz Gamra in his first UFC bout. He's on a nine-fight winning streak. Seven of his 12 wins are via knockout. And this just all adds up to one thing, a great fucking fight. I mean, this is probably some of the more intriguing fighters in the division. Because as I've said, I think lightweight's the best class in MMA. You have top to bottom. There's a lot of depth. The top 10 are fucking killers. But they're getting a little bit older. This could be these guys that move up to that. And it's kind of shitty that as young as these guys are in the UFC career, they're facing off against each other. Uh, But whoever wins this, I mean, in their prime, they're on their fucking way. And I believe it's going to be as Mugalov. Hopefully he makes weight. That's why I'm waiting to put my bets and picks in Friday, Saturday, because you got to make sure these fuckers make weight. But I'm taking Demir. We marking him down, and we get this bread. Moving on. We got... Yaquin Numansa Buckley, 28 years old, with a 14-4 and record, taking on Albert Machete Dureyev, 33 years old, with a 15-3 and record. Now, stylistically, this is a fun one. Buckley is a striker that made his living off a, that viral knockout to start COVID, and goddamn, was that a knockout. Just type in Buckley knockout COVID. I'm sure it'll pop up. Um, Albert... He's got solid grappling. So if Buckley can avoid the takedown, um, you know, it's really, can he avoid the takedown or not? That's really the question in this fight. Now, Buckley, he's a Bellator alum. He's on a two-fight winning streak. He had knockout of the year in 2020. He had He's had performance of the night three of his last five fights. Ten of his 14 wins are via knockout. And three of his four losses are via knockout. He puts it all on the line. Now, Albert, he's on a 10-fight winning streak. He is a Dana White Contender Series alum and M1 alum. He's 2-0 in the UFC. Nine of his 15 wins are via submission, and three of his three losses are via knockout. (laughs) You know, a.k.a. Buckley. We'll see. This one is another tight one. If I could avoid this from the parlay, I will. I like how Buckley has improved his game since being in the UFC, but he's still young. We'll see if he could keep this one standing or not. But I'll take um, Albert Machete Dureyev as my pick, but probably not putting this in a parlay. And then we have Tim the Dirty Bird Means, 38 years old, with a 32-12-1 record. Damn, that's a lot of fights. Taking on Kevin... Trailblazer Holland, who's 29 years old with a 22-7 and record. Now, in the welterweight uh, division, this is intriguing because Tim's got a lot of experience. Kevin's kind of been all over the place. 
He's really been in the headlines a lot for like beating up these robberies and like saving people and shit. So, you know, sometimes I wonder like how locked in he is. You know, those are great things. I don't think that's a bad thing, but um, he just seems like he's a wild child. You know what I mean? Um, and Tim's just a real OG. He's crisp. He'll, he's going to de deliver. And although he's 38, he's still got some fight in him. Tim is a legacy FC and King of the Cage alum. He was a champion at King of the Cage. He's on a three-fight winning streak at 38 years old. And 19 of his 32 wins are via knockout. Kevin, he has a second-degree black belt in Kung Fu. A black belt in BJJ. He is a King of the Cage, Bellator, LFA, and Dana White Contender Series alum. He's tied for most wins in a calendar year with five. He was the 2020 Male Fighter of the Year. 13 of his 22 wins are via knockout. He is on a one-fight winning streak, and he has a six-inch reach advantage in this fight. There's some big reach advantages in this card. Now, Tim has fought a lot of fighters. He's been in a lot of situations. But Big Mouth is entering his prime. He needs to get back on track. You can't lose to Tim Means right now. You lose to Tim Means, I don't know where your career is going. This is a huge fight that reach. I'm going to go with Big Mouth. I'm putting Kevin Holland on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on. God, what a card. And this is the co-main. It wasn't supposed to be on this card, but because Donald Cerrone getting sick, um, like the last pay-per-view, I think, it got moved to Texas. We had already broke it down. We're going to break it down again. But this is a legacy fight of legacy fights. We get Donald Cowboy Cerrone, 39 years old with a 39-16 and 16 record, taking on Joe Lauzon. 37 years old with a 28 and 16 record. It's a class event showdown to, to, to um, damn near finish the main card. And Joe hasn't fought of October of 2019. So it's been some time. Now, Cowboy, he's a legend with records for days, right? He trains out of his own BMF ranch. He's got a black belt in BJJ and a black belt in Goto Jutsu. He was a guy that came from WEC. He was the guy in WEC. He's tied for the most wins in UFC history, the third most bouts, the second most finishes, the most post-fight bonus awards, and most knockdowns in UFC history. He had 2009 Fight of the Year. He is definitely, you know, on the latter half of his career, I think he said he wanted two more fights. And he is on a five-fight losing streak with a no contest. He hasn't won since May of 2019. 17 of his 36 wins are via submission. And 8 of his 16 losses are via knockout. Now, Joe is a true UFC vet of his own. He trains out of his own Lozon MMA. He has a background in BJJ and boxing with a black belt in BJJ. He's an Ultimate Fighter alum. He's tied for second for most post-fight bonus awards. Most submission of the Night Honors, 2012 Fight of the Year. He is on a one-fight winning streak after a three-fight losing streak, but hasn't graced the octagon, like we said, in, since October of 2019. Um, a lot of that was COVID. He wanted to fight for in front of fans, not at the apex without fans. And 17 of his 28 wins are via submission. 
and six of his 15 losses are via knockout. Now, this fight, it's a staple for your legacy. It's a name on your resume. Joe definitely is a wild card after being out for so long. But I believe that Joe having a little bit, you know, being a little bit younger, I feel like not being quite as beat up, I think it's an advantage for him. I do I do believe that Cowboy is out and should be in retirement. He, you know, he's he's out of his out of his glory days. He hasn't looked very sharp of late. And because of that, I'm taking Joe. I'm putting him on my parlay. He's the underdog. We get in that bread. Add up to that add that parlay bonus, baby. And then the main event. And boy, just like the Julian Marquez, when this bout was announced, I was fired up. We get Calvin Cater, 34 years old, with a 23-5 and record and the number four next to his name, taking on Josh Emmett, 37 years old, with a 17-2 and record and the number seven next to his name. Now, I've been calling Emmett Mr. Clean because he's bald, buff, and fucking badass. Uh, my friend gave him that nickname. We're going to keep calling him. So Josh, Mr. Clean Emmett, 37 years old with a 17-2 and record and the number seven next to his name. Now, this fight, it's going to deliver. I mean, it's headlining this card for a reason. I think, ironically enough, it's the only ranked fighters on this card. For as good as this card is, it's savage. Um, but it's, you know... Take the rankings aside. This should be the main event. Now, Calvin, he's got a boxing background. He's got a blue belt in BJJ. He's on a one-fight winning streak. And 11 of his 23 wins are via knockout. He is coming off back-to-back fight of the nights as well. Josh trains out of Team Alpha Male. He's a purple belt in BJJ. He was an NAIA wrestler at Menlo. He's on a four-fight winning streak, and six of his 17 wins are via knockout. I could see Josh maybe trying to do some wrestling, but I really do think this is going to be a stand-up fight. I think it's going to go um, probably past three rounds. I really like Mr. Clean. I really like Josh Emmett, but I believe recovering from all the knee injuries, I mean, he should, I think he shattered his knee, ACL, MCL, PCL, and more. He had complications in recovery, although he's came back and won since then. He's also 37, which is, you know, I think once you're basically at 37, that's like, okay, you're starting to get old in most MMA, especially when you're having crazy injuries like that. You know, Calvin's been fighting the best of the best in this weight class. I think he's still in his fighting prime at uh, 34 years old. But if Emmett wants to win, he's got to have a, re- a wrestling heavy attack, in my opinion. We'll see. But I'm confident Cater's going to take get the job done. I'm putting Calvin on my parlay. We market him down, and we getting this bread. Woo! What a card, though. What a card. I can't fucking wait. Saturday, baseball, lunch, baseball, come back, catch the fights. That's a good Saturday, you ask me. No City Connect's going to be rocking, but your boy will be rocking it. So what's next? Well, next Saturday, we have another fight night card, this time back at the UFC Apex, and it's headlined by Armin Tusarian and Matuz Gamrat. I honestly think this, um, let's see, this Demir is Mugalov and Garam Kutatalazi. I think it's going to be a better fight than that. 
I think they're just uh, both more talented fighters. That's how talented they are. But that's still a sick fight. Um, they didn't want it to be the headliner, I don't think, but it is. And that's an, an earlier 3 p.m. Pacific start. Not as stacked as the Austin card, but still going to be a sick card. But the summer fights are on their way. We got Kamaru coming back, 276. I'll be out there. Follow me on social medias. I'll be posting. It's going to be a good time. But let's pick up where we left off in the NBA for the NBA Finals. Now, around the league, the Cavaliers promote Greg Buckner to their head coach. Buckner obviously played basketball. He played for Clemson. He was ACC Rookie of the Year. He played with the Mavericks, the Sixers, the Timberwolves. He played a little bit everywhere. Um, as a coach, he joined the Rockets as a player development coach for five seasons. He then became the assistant coach of Memphis in November and became an assistant with the Cavs, which has now led him to end the Bulls, which has now led him to be the head coach of the, of the Cavs. They're very familiar with him. So he's got a good background. Elsewhere in the coaching searches, the Hornets hire Kenny Atkinson. Kenny Atkinson played overseas. He played with the Knicks for a while. Um, in his coaching career, he joined the Knicks as an assistant coach under Mike D'Antoni in 2008. Um, he joined the Hawks for a while under Mike Budenholzer, who's now with the Bucks. And then he took the head coach job with the Nets once the Hawks season came to an end. Um, so yeah, from there he went to, um, the Clippers. He was an assistant coach under Tyron Liu. And then now he, uh, and then he was the assistant of the Warriors this year and is now going to be the head coach once again, um, not an interim this time for the, um, Charlotte Hornets. So, um, some well-experienced coaches getting hired first trade in quite some time. The Nuggets trade their uh, they get a 2022 first round pick, which is a 30th overall. So right at the end of the first round and two future second round picks while the Thunder gets Jamichael green and a projected 2027 first round pick. So I feel like not a lot of influence The nuggets will get a late first. That doesn't ever really work out Two future seconds. The Thunder spread out. They get Jamichael green now and get a spread out first round in 2027. We'll talk about the game. But Steph Curry's streak of 233 consecutive games with a three-pointer broken last night. He went 0 for 9 from the field. And, and the first time ever, he didn't make a three in a playoff game. And they still won the game. Savagery. Savagery. So let's talk first about game four on Friday, uh, June 10th. This was huge, right? Somehow. Oh, I'm not going to say somehow, but shockingly al horford pops off right game one just to refresh your memories uh celtics go up 1-0 um the warriors split at 1-1 celtics win game three at home then warriors take one in boston in the garden 107 to 97 and this was a good game um it seems like each time boston had crept in close the warriors took you know took the lead up to uh, about double digits but this is all steph cooking Steph had 43 points, 10 rebounds. He was 7 of 14 from 3. Klay Thompson pitched in 18 points, but on 17 uh, shots, so not the most efficient of games. And then Jordan Poole, 14 uh, points on 13 shots off the bench. But for the Celtics, they were led by Tatum, who had 23 points on 23 shots. He did have 11 rebounds and 6 assists as well. And then Jalen Brown, 21 and 6 on 19 shots. 
Derek White with a night 16 off the bench. My friend is a Celtics fan, and we put a prop parlay that White would have over 15 points. Robert Williams would score more than three, and the Celtics would win. Um, I did it because he's a Celtics fan. We split it. It was like, I don't know, 15 bucks or something. Uh, and if you would win, it was pretty big. So we were one block away, and obviously the Celtics winning, but it was fun to watch live, have that in there. It got it exciting because uh, I bet a bunch of money just straight up on the Warriors. This was must win. They found a way. But then things get interesting, right? After the weekend, um, you get the game on Monday, which I don't know why they did it Monday. I, maybe they just need those days of rest, I guess. Um, but it was another doozy. I mean, the, the Warriors were up quite a bit for a while. The Celtics made a run, retook the lead, and you're like, oh, shit. This this is getting interesting that the Celtics find a way to win this game. Can the Warriors win two? And then the next game in Boston, that's, that's going to be hard to do. Um, it's going to be hard for the, the Celtics to win now that they've lost two in a row as well. But the Warriors found a way to finish. How they found a way, it really was the turnovers on the Celtics, in my opinion. Because you look at the box score, if you would tell me that um, Steph Curry would be 0 of 9 from 3, Wiggins 0 of 6 from 3, and the team 22%, 9 of 40 from 3, there's no way for a team that lives by the three ball so much. But Wiggins did it without the three ball. He had 26 points, 13 rebounds on 23 shots, even though he was 0 for 6. Klay Thompson did have 21 points on 14 shots. He was 5 of 11 from 3. He's starting to warm up a little bit. Um, but, you know, Steph only had 16 on 22 shots. Tough day. He did have 8 assists. But Gary Payton with 15 off the bench and Jordan Poole with another 14. That really was a difference maker for the Celtics. Tatum led the way with 27 points on 20 shots. He had 10 rebounds. Marcus Smart had 20 points and a tough game for Jalen. 0 of 5 from 3, 18 and 9 on 18 shots and really no bench help. Uh, Derek White, 0 of 4, 1 point. It's crazy that he got plus 15 that that one game. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would assume this the, the Warriors to win it all now. I had picked them to win it, even though my gut was telling me the Celtics right out the gate. I'm glad I didn't pick them for the podcast sake. Um, but next game, game five or game six in Boston on Thursday. Can the Celtics get a win here? They need to have a win, force game seven. I want to see game seven, even though I'll be at the baseball games both days. It's good for the fans. You know, Shohei Otani's on the mound Thursday. I don't give a shit about game six. You know what I mean? But anyways, it'll be good. It's a, it's it's the anarchy that sports provides. Um, I always think each game there's going to be a role player, right? There's going to be someone that shows out, that, that finds a way. I, I honestly thought uh, Wiggins would last game, and he did. I thought, uh, you know, the, the Derek White thing, I didn't really think he'd show out, but I think he'd be a big part. He was. So I'm going to go and say the next game for the Celtics it's going to be Grant Williams. He had 16 minutes this game at 3-3. Three and three. I think he shoots the ball a little bit more off the bench. I wouldn't be surprised if Peyton Pritchard looked a little bit better, got some more minutes. Um, what a coaching job by uh, Steve Kerr in this game, though. They went through some different lineups. Draymond Green didn't play quite as much. They were able to put Kev Kevon Looney in there. He did well. Um, obviously not a ton of offense, but that's not what you put him in there for. Um... I'd like to see Kaminga get some more minutes too, but they haven't been giving him a lot. Um, probably because he likes to shoot right out the gates. That's my guess. But 
Uh, that's where we are. So Monday, or not Monday, Thursday, game six. Sunday, game seven, potentially. We're down to the nitty-gritty. We're down to the nitty-gritty. Speaking of nitty-gritty, let's pick up where we left off in the NHL uh, Conference Finals, where your Colorado Avalanche already been sitting on the couch, chilling, um, trying to get Kemper back, uh, Nazim Kadri back, because they swept in the championship finals, which is unfucking real But meanwhile, we had Game 5 Thursday, June 9th, the Tampa Bay Lightning finding a way to win in New York after being down 2-0 in the series to win 3-1, to take the series lead 3-2. Now, goalie play has been amazing for both teams. Uh, Veselski, probably, debatably, the best goalie in the league right now. Shots were pretty much even for both teams. Hits were even. Face-offs, pretty even. Everything was pretty even. Um, no scores in the first. Ryan Lindgren get, got the first. The scoring started to put the Rangers up 1-0. New York was happy. Shortly after, Makali Sergachev gets his first playoff goal in the second. And then Andrej Palat with his eighth. And Brandon Hagel getting another one in the third. They handle business. And you really got to give McCall uh, the, the, the credit, or not McCall, Andre the credit. Um, he has been amazing. You know, they're defending champions. They've won two championships for a reason. And as an Avs fan, you know, I'm like, oh, I probably don't want Tampa, but New York's been looking good lately. But you probably don't want Tampa, right? So on Saturday, I'm praying for game seven, and the Lightning say, no, no, no. They win two to one at home. And they win four straight fucking games. That's that's a lightning for you. They can do that. Um, the second, Steven Stomkos got his eighth playoff goal, and then he got uh, the game-winning goal late in the third for his ninth playoff goal. Frank Vetrano had his fifth via power play in the second. <sighs> Tampa Bay Lightning, man, they're tough. You know, the Avs are the young kids. They've had multiple second-round exits. As an Avs fan, it you know, drove you nuts. They have all the talent in the world. But what's going to win here? Talent or experience and leadership and goalie play, right? Not to say Darcy Kemper's terrible. You know, he hasn't been playing. He had the eye thing. I'm not too sure, you know, if the upper body injury was just that or what. Um, But Colorado's favored game one. I'm assuming they're favored in the series. They've been, you know, they're the preseason favorites, I think, the past two years. It's time for Colorado to hoist the Stanley Cup. You know, I'm not going to pick against my team. But I'm fired up. That action happens tomorrow afternoon. It's going to be weird, right? Uh, a lot of sports fans, the NBA goes, the NHL goes. Um, it's mostly NFL offseason. Unless you're an MLB guy. I love baseball. A lot of people say, Shane, why do you like baseball? That shit's boring as shit. I'm like, first off, no, it's not. Second off, Everyone loves to go to an in-person baseball game. You can't tell me you don't. Because even if you don't watch the game, you're having a good time, you're sitting in the sun, you're drinking a beer, it's America. It's American. It's America's pastime. Uh, But it was my favorite sport to play. I enjoyed playing it. Just the camaraderie, just the the, a little bit of everything. I enjoyed it. You don't have to concuss yourself or do too much. Um, You can't be afraid of the ball. can't be a pussy. You got to hit the ball, do those things. But I enjoyed playing it. Um, And as an adult, it's very chess-like. I mean, I know a lot of sports are. 
But like the statistics and the things that go behind the sport in baseball to me is just different. And although, yeah, it could probably change a little bit. You know, it, it is a little slow sometimes. It's something that you could multitask while watching on TV. But I fucking love it. So in the MLB, some some bad injury news breaking the past few days. Uh, Steven Strasburg back to the IL after just getting off. That's never good to hear this late in his career. Liam Hendricks, the stud all-star closer for the White Sox, heads to the IL. Their injuries just keep racking up this year. Uh, Hyunjun Ryu out for the season for the Toronto Blue Jays. He's getting some surgery done on his UCL. And at, you know, age 35, not everyone's Verlander that could come back from, you know, I don't know if it's Tommy John or what he's getting done, but could come and pitch in the elite level. But, you know, I picked the, the Blue Jays preseason to win it all. And a lot of it had like, okay, you now have Kevin Gossman. You have Ryu. You know, they lost Robbie Ray. They swapped him with Gossman. You have the youth, uh, youthful offense. But their pitching is a little bit more of a concern. But no one thought Alex Manoa was going to be a Cy Young candidate this far in the season. So maybe they'll be okay. But if you had a, a high-performing Ryu, that rotation would have been nasty. So tough break for the Blue Jays. Your one and only first baseman for your Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, Jared Walsh, hits for the cycle, man. I was at the Mariners game Saturday. I was loving it. There was a Mets fan sitting in front of me. It was Mets Angels. The the Angels, it's like all the frustration from the 14-game losses. They're just hitting dingers. Trout gets a home run. Otani gets a home run. Jared Walsh hits for the cycles. I was loving it. Um, but bravo to Jared Walsh. He's the first Angel to do that since Shohei Otani. I believe, in 2019. More injury news this time for the defending champion and hottest team in baseball, the Atlanta Braves' Ozzy Albies fractures his foot. I believe that was yesterday um, and confirmation out today. So, yeah, I don't know if he's going to be able to return this year or not, but that's brutal news. Um, hopefully not as brutal for these teams. Nathan Ovaldi on the 15-day IL for lower back inflammation for the Red Sox and for the... Uh, probably the best team in baseball right now. Walker Bueller for the Dodgers won't throw for six to eight weeks due to the flexor strain. So won't be throwing, let alone playing anytime soon. Um, Casey Mize to have Tommy John for the Tigers. You know, the Tigers aren't going to win now. Um, kind of the same way I felt with the Angels when they weren't in win now mode. It's like, okay, well, they're not in win now mode, but... Uh, a guy that throws that hard, you almost have to get Tommy John. So just get it out of the way, get him better, get him prepared, get that elbow malfactured or whatever happens with Tommy John. I feel like Tommy John is like ACL for football players. You almost have to have it now the way it's reconstructed. It's even better. Um, so it sucks, you know, if you're a Tigers fan, but probably a good thing. And then Royce Lewis out for the twins with a torn ACL. Tough news for them. They're a hot team right now. But let's talk about the series that have happened this past weekend. My Angels drop another series. They lose to the Mets 2-1, to one, although Saturday was a lot of fun. It sucks to lose another series as we were high and mighty, and then that losing streak really brought us back to typical Angel baseball. But hey, you know, they got to rock the, the City Connects. I was loving every moment of it. Uh, Sunday Night Baseball, City Connects, they didn't really play that well. Um, but, you know, there's some things to root for. Speaking of Jersey, side tangent. As a Utah Jazz fan, they are, I believe, on the 17th. So that would be Friday announcing their new jerseys. They're getting new colors, new designs, everything. So hopefully that's not as bad as the leaked ones because they're really bad. 
Uh, but, you know, as a fan of the Jazz and the Angels, we don't win. You get excited about that shit. The Marlins beat the the Astros 2-1. to The Astros have been dropping a few series. As an Angels fan, that's great news. So you got to win to catch them in the standings. But a little bit of a surprising outcome for me um, as an AL West guy. The Twins beat the Rays 2-1. to I'll be watching the Twins uh, here at Safeco or T-Mobile tomorrow. The Rangers beat the White Sox 2-1. to The Rangers have been getting a little bit hotter as well. Uh, the Giants sweep the Dodgers 3-0. to They've been swept two times this year. I think they hadn't been swept once since 2020 before that. The Red Sox beat the Mariners 2-1 to this past weekend as well. So as we look at the standing, it's still the fucking Yankees. Eight games ahead of the Blue Jays, nine ahead of the Rays, 12 and a half ahead of the Red Sox. In the AL Central, the Twins, three and a half ahead of the Guardians. The Guardians have been playing some pretty good ball, seven and three in their last 10. Um, the White Sox, you know, just battling injuries under 500. They're six back from the Twins. In the AL West, the Astros, seven and a half ahead of, would never guess it, the Texas Rangers who are a game ahead of the Angels, and the Angels are a game and a half ahead of the Ast- or the Mariners. Big series for Angels-Mariners this weekend. In the AL East, it is the Mets five games ahead of the Braves. They The Braves are on like 14-game winning streak. They're 10-0 in their last 10. And the Mets are eight and a half ahead of the Phillies, who've been hot of late, nine of one in their last 10 as well. Those teams are starting to, starting to get back on track as the weather warms up. In the NL Central, the Cardinals are a game and a half ahead of the Brewers. The Cardinals, a newer team ahead of that division, ahead of the Brewers. And then the NL West, the Dodgers tied with the Padres, which is phenomenal, uh, with no Tatis, and Tatis isn't expected to be back anytime soon. I saw a report he's, he's not going to be back as soon as they had hoped for. And then they are three games ahead of the Giants, so quite a race. What a fun race that's going to be to track down. What sets us up for some series this weekend we get, let's see, Yankees-Blue Jays. That's going to be a fun AL East matchup in Toronto. The Marlins traveling to New York City Field to face the Mets. The NL Central leading Cardinals taking on the Red Sox, who have been solid of late. Uh, the White Sox playing the Astros in a fun AL battle. That'll be one of the Friday night Apple TV specials. The Angels-Mariners, I'll beat all five games in four days. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yep, five games in four days. Savagery. And then the Guardians taking on the Dodgers. See if the Guardians could play to the level of the Dodgers. That is also on Apple TV. Other than that, uh, Hunter Renfro didn't... I missed this one. He gets a two-year, $32 million contract extension uh, for, uh, for the Raiders. Jason Garrett replacing Drew Brees on NBC. Drew Brees said he'd rather spend time with his family. You know, it was too much work of a commitment to work with NBC. Um, it will be interesting to see Jason Garrett part of that crew. Carissa Thompson doing Amazon pregame coverage. She's uh, usually on Fox Sports. And then the Chiefs re-signed Jarek McKinnon to a one-year deal for uh, running back depth. Elsewhere in sports, BYU, Houston, Cincy, and UCF joining the Big 12. All this conference uh, ship jumping is getting out of control. Uh, But the Big 12 needing to lure in some names. Those are good names that aren't in a power five. 
the LIV Golf uh, League competing against the PGA, signing some big names, Dustin Johnson, Phil Mickelson, guaranteed money just to play golf. Uh, it's a Saudi Arabian-backed league. It'll be interesting to see how that handles if it lasts and could compete against the PGA. And then USA Soccer tonight against El Salvador, their last friendly, I believe, before the World Cup. Got a little USA. That is a baseball jersey, but jersey coming in so I could rock that come World Cup time because we'll all be cheering to some American goals. Speaking of goals, though, we out here, ladies and gents, a year and a half in, episode 87. I'm so hyped to go to some baseball. I'm hyped for that fight night card, and I'm hyped for the MMA-only podcast to get going. I got to get my shit together. But other than that, don't forget, check out Fueled Supplements. Go to the website, buy some supplements, help support small local business. That's what matters. Quit going to GNC, quit going to Amazon, Costco, wherever you go. Uh, But we'll chat next week. Peace.